This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this special 100th episode of Property Matters. It's quite a milestone here. We started the Property Matters show to discuss all things property with a bit of a community feel, a local feel, national and international. And I've got uh, Fraser and Willie here with me today. We're having a little celebration in studio. Welcome. Whee! <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and with this 100th episode, that's around about two years' worth. And what I was going to do was I was going to – I thought we'd bring Fraser in, well-known radio personality here at NPR, of course. <laughs> well-known radio personality <laughs> at NPR. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> to, to maybe just have a discussion with Billy and I. Billy and I, of course, co-hosted – uh, the early episodes, and we thought we might just reminisce a little on, on a few things. So I'll probably maybe hand over to you, Fraser, just to have a little bit of a, a chat or a... Or yeah, a, I know. mean, well, I mean, I would be most interested to know what prompted you to start a, a property podcast in in the first instance. Yeah, and that's, that's a great question. And, and Billy, I, I think it was just wanting to have that community feel, just to provide a uh, Information for people to help them whether they're renting or, or yeah, that was the main I guess reason, Greg. When we sort of uh, you know prompted the idea about this was giving people in our community and then you know further afield as well, just just right advice um, around property, whether it be selling, buying, renting, uh, landlord. Um, so so, and I think um, you know the advice out there is quite quite inconsistent. Um, it can be inconsistent and probably overwhelming yeah. as well, particularly in the buying and selling sphere. I mean, most people, when they go, right, I need to sell my house, you hand it over to a real estate agent to do all that. You don't necessarily know the ins and outs yourself. Yeah, that, that's right. And, and I think what what we try to do on the show is often it has almost like a news feel where I go back and recap some of the news that's been happening in the last week because real estate, there's, there's literally dozens of stories every week and and it's and so it's, it's sometimes it's combating a bit of misinformation. And other times we have uh, property matters shows that give ad- advice. Yeah, and, and probably prop- the property management side of things, so the investing side of things, there's a lot of people that do it themselves out mm. there. Um, and and a lot of the times they they feel like they're doing the right thing, um, but they're actually not following mm. their obligations as, as landlords or, or as tenants. So it's just giving them, you know, the right advice. Um, and, um, and, and that's where for us it was more so, you know, making sure that they are dotting their I's and crossing their mm. T's on certain things as opposed to putting themselves at risk. The, the COVID landlord. Landscape as well was added a bit of uncertainty to things, and there was you know the the, the rent freezes that were put in place, and, and navigating that would have been a bit of a challenge. I would have thought. Yeah, it was um, to start with, um, but I guess you know the the whole rent freeze aspect, um, you know, it, it was well thought out, um, and and I guess for a, a lot of our you know a lot of people out there. 
you know, they jumped on board with it mm. uh, fairly well. Mm. So um, yeah, I, I think the, the COVID aspect has had a huge impact um, from from the renting side of things. Um, uh, I think the sales side of things nationwide is still still very much buoyant. So, um, so and we'll we might get onto that shortly. It, it's just um, one. Of, I don't know if it's part of your podcast to try and break down those stereotypes because there is the stereotype that the landlord is. You know, if you're a renter, landlord's the enemy. You know, they're, they're, they're slumlords. And all the rest of it. I found it quite interesting in, in my history with NPR, particularly covering social justice forum events at the Catholic Diocese. Um, there's been obviously a focus on housing on them the past few years. And actually, it's been really neat to hear from, I think it's the Landlords Association, and how they actually, the vast majority of landlords want to do right by their renters. They want long-term tenants. I mean, that makes the business easier. Uh, and so, you know, trying to break down that stereotype, you know, not all landlords in fact, the vast minority of landlords yeah. are, are, you know, just in it for the buck and, and not for the people. And I think the challenge, and, and what I quite often look at on, on the show, the challenge is that, that headlines such as nice landlord has nice tenants mm-hmm. really really doesn't sell so, or yeah, get yeah. people clicking and, and reading, but yet that's 99.9% of what happens. Mm-hmm. So the, the focus on the exceptions are often what the media does, and so... Uh, there's definitely been challenges, though. I mean, the sales market, uh, September to September last year, up 25%, which is incredible. Mm. And and over the two years that we've been doing this show, if you looked at any particular month and then looked back 12 months earlier, it's around about that 15% uh, year-on-year increase in mm. median house prices. Rents recently, 17% in one year. So mm. like you say, it's, it's really tough going. One thing, though, that... Is important to note, and, and Vili, I'll throw this over to you. There's quite quite a um, reasonable proportion of landlords who instruct property managers to rent a bit below market rental. Yeah, I mean, it's a case um, like you were saying before, Fraser. You know, breaking that stereotype where majority of most most landlords you want to do right by their mm-hmm. by their tenants, and and I think. You know that's the vast majority of, of most people out there. I mean, uh, landlords get uh, pretty pretty hard done done by in terms of uh, the media, like Greg was talking about. And um, I, I guess I guess just that um, pedestal that most people put them up on. Yeah. Um, but you know, in particular in Manawatu, most uh, investors or, or landlords, you know, they only have one one property, um, and and that's their sort of nesty. Yeah. Um, and you know, they they want to ensure that the people that are living in their nest egg are well taken care of, that they're living in a warm and healthy home um, and, and you know, not not put the rents up to you know, crazy prices, mm-hmm. um, which we are seeing in, in majority of the largest cities. Yep. Um, here, rents have obviously moved and shifted, uh, and that's just a, what, what I see, Greg, and you probably have some comments on this, is, is just a filter effect from other major cities as well. Um, and, and certainly, I, I guess, with um, very short space of time, uh, the changes that the property management industry has undergone uh, has caused rapid uh, rent changes because uh, I guess as, as a landlord or as an investor, um, you know, you need to recoup some of the costs that you're having to 
put into the property. Uh, and so the only way that you can do that is obviously rent shift. Mm. Now, a lot of landlords don't want to do that, um, but they are forced to have to do it. Uh, otherwise, they have no choice but to either sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so a lot of landlords out there want to keep their property as an investment property and look after the tenant. In order for them to do that, they've got to rent it out at a price that is achievable for them um, to be able to continue that forward. And what, what's, what, how is that landscape going to change? We've just had a general election. We've got a, a majority Labour government. They can do pretty much whatever they want for three years. Uh, was there anything in the policy platform there that's, that's going to address uh, how people rent and how people buy and sell houses? Well, one thing that came through late in the, in the process uh, was the regulation of the property management industry, which is fantastic. Mm. And uh, um, this will give a much better platform of fairness for tenants and landlords uh, and property management companies. And, We're and going to be able to put nails in walls now, aren't we? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and with, the, with property management, there's um, – It's an industry that's unregulated, which for those of you who are not sure what that means, what that means is um, there's no no rules around it. Someone can come out of jail for fraud one day and open a property management business. They can have no expertise, no knowledge, no training and uh, look after these really valuable assets. They can treat it like a little mini um, fiefdom or mm-hmm. nothing, and uh, and impo- and all that sort of stuff. That's changing, so that uh, things will be regulated. We're yeah. excited about that. Um, I think we actually spoke about it in one of our early episodes, Greg, yes. earlier on we'll be about the regulation and property management, and and I guess why we're very much for for that regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think there are you know a lot of property management companies out there who do a great job. Um, but there's also, you know, a very, very small percentage of property management companies. That Again, don't. it's the minorities that ruin it for <laughs> everyone. <laughs> exactly. Isn't it? exactly. Um, and, and so having having that regulation would would just mean that uh, landlords are getting the best advice. Mm. That that adhering to uh, legislation and 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 that Residential Tenancies Act and um, consistency is important. Absolutely. As well. So let's let's look at house prices. I mean, as someone who is hoping to buy a house in the next year or two, yeah. I. Am um, quaking in my boots yes, at, at yes. the thought of, you know, yeah, I, I I'm probably going to afford something that is not going to meet my needs, quite frankly. Yeah, and, and the goalposts keep changing. And what's what's been happening in Manawatu and uh, Manawatu Wanganui, which is grouped together as a, a real estate district, uh, as I mentioned earlier, 25% increase in the last year. Um, what does mm. this mean? It means the deposit. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't help you, right? <laughs> no, no. no. And so, so what, we've got this situation at the moment where getting the deposit together is difficult. Mm. Uh, the banks have been given a little bit more leeway with what they call the loan-to-value ratio, so, but it's still at their discretion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then with the interest rates being so low, if you can get past that deposit hurdle, if you're currently renting, then chances are your mortgage would actually be less than your rent. Yes. But the problem is the, deposit, the hurdle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think uh, interest rates will continue to go go down. Um, I know Heartland Bank came out recently with an interest rate of 1.99. Um, so most major banks, I feel, will follow that. I'm not sure what your thoughts are around that. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. And um, certainly there's not going to be a change to the OCR for, for quite some time. Or if it does, it will go down. Um, there's not a lot left for the banks to go further no. down. Um, but like I say, the it's interesting because uh, – 
what will they do? Will they will they say make it easier to um, have smaller deposits? Mm-hmm. Um, there was a risk that before the global financial crisis, there was a lot of that going on. Uh, however, because the, the average deposit they're, they're wanting now is like five to ten percent, isn't it? Well, it, it was up around twenty percent. Good lord! Um, and uh, however. Well, let me just put that another way. The banks were given discretion to only loan a small amount of loans mm-hmm. for less than twenty percent deposit. Right now, they've been given, they've been told, don't, don't worry about that so much. <laughs> yep. And um, so, really, it's uh, if you're talking to a mortgage broker, that's quite a good way of yep. getting an idea as to what what's out there. Because, like I say, the deposit is the biggest hurdle by yep. a long way, and that's where if house prices went up over time by a hundred thousand. If, if you're needing a 10 cent deposit, you know, that's an extra 10,000. Um, am I right in saying that the the main issue here is supply? Yeah. That if, you know, if there were more houses built, property prices might stabilise or, or even come down a little bit well, because, I was you know. just about to say that, Fraser. I think that's the biggest issue that um, we've had nationwide is, is just an absolute shortage of supply, um, which creates more demand, clearly. Um, so um, I think the government's intentions on uh, the Kiwi Build scheme uh, mm-hmm. was a good idea, but that never never happened. Uh, they never built the properties to to the, uh, I guess, target that they wanted to achieve. Um, and, and now with, uh, I guess, the dynamic of uh, lowering LVRs and, and interest rates, um, it's very positive, but there's there's no property to be able to support that. Yeah, fundamentally, it's it's supply and demand. And uh, what I thought when they first announced the Q Build scheme was that they were focusing possibly in the wrong place. Yeah. They were focusing on helping people being able to buy their first home, mm-hmm. whereas what I would have preferred to have seen is, is massive investment in um, public housing, mm-hmm. um, state state sector housing, because it is a fundamental supply and demand. If yeah. you, even if you tackle it from the lower end and move up. Uh, that would that would reduce prices, but it is an extremely expensive exercise. Yep. And what's been happening here in Palmerston North uh, over the the hundred episodes we've had on the show is that things uh, the city has been moving towards Ashurst, and that'll yep. continue for the next uh, around about ten years. That's yep. a major focus. Fokaronga will become a suburb. Yes, yeah. it will yeah. absolutely. We're, we're, we've also seen, um, I guess, people. Um, Buying property now, um, you know, creates. So you talk about you know buying and selling property. Um, it creates a demand and supply shortage for renting mm-hmm. as well. Um, so you know, Greg buys his first home, um, and because interest rates are so low, and he does have, uh, you know, the percentage deposit that he that he can to be able to get it, get his foot in the door. What it's taking is taking that property out of the rental pool that mm-hmm. potentially was a rental property, uh, and we're seeing that. Quite, quite a bit in our region uh, where um, rental properties are being sold uh, because of demand of legislation and, and expenses and, and things like that. Um, and and th- so there's no real recoup in mm. rental properties. Mm. And that's another reason why probably prices are going up as well because there's just, there's just a huge shortage of rental properties. And, and, a, and a shortage of, of, of diversity. Um, it strikes me, you know, you see people subdividing uh, sections and you get a lot of two-bedroom units in there or uh, the new developments uh, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong but developers favour the you know the three-bedroom house you know that's, yeah well actually even larger they, they mm. the the biggest margins for developers uh, who are in business of course is, is your four-bedroom mm. two-bathroom homes uh, the likes that of which we see many between Roberts and James Lyon and, yeah. and further afield so the government I hope and they've started to try and give councils more leeway 
to um, be able to make it more appealing for developers to develop the two and the three-bedroom mm-hmm. properties of which we need. Uh, plus there's also quite a lot of public um, council or, or state housing being built at the moment and around Palmerston North relative to what we've seen for a number of years. And and it's good to see the City Council with Papaioia Place and yeah. the continued development. That, I mean, that's that's an awesome-looking great. Great development. Yeah, yeah. Um, and eco-friendly and everything. And as you say, meeting that one two-bedroom mm. unit yeah. need for... Yes. Dare I say, our, our vulnerable residents. The thing is, we need we just need more of it. Like, yep. There's just that one aspect, you know. There's one Papiawa development. Yeah. It's like, where's the next one? You know, where's the one after that? And yeah. I just don't don't see that happening. And um, they're building some state houses on Botanical as well. I see. They've yes, there is. That, those are underway now, and also there's a um, apartment building structure being purchased where Palmer's uh, Garden Centre not yes. being purchased, being built, I beg your pardon they got, so that's an example where the council gave special permission to build up to three storeys high because it matches this uh, this demand so well, pe- people who drive down Pioneer Highway will be able to see see mm-hmm. that one under construction and that's, that's for helping vulnerable people yeah. In terms of city layout, I mean, there's going to be a countdown supermarket on Pioneer as well. Um, that makes those houses that are being built more desirable, I would have thought, being able to walk to the supermarket. And uh, the city council put pressure on countdown to make that more of a sort of community hub. And it wasn't just going to be this monolithic uh, sure. supermarket there. D- does that have a bearing on your jobs? And, and, and do you monitor how the city is being developed beyond just houses, but its infrastructure and, and what's nearby as well. We, we probably don't monitor it, um, but it certainly makes it, it makes our job a little bit more easier because it's more attractable to mm-hmm. those areas. Um, and, and, and those certainly those suburbs that, um, you know, have been, um, I, I guess, state houses that property have been run down, um, you know, they, they become more of an attraction now because of these like urban developed areas. So people actually want to live there now as opposed to, oh, I'm going to steer clear of that. Mm. Um, so it, it does make it a lot um, a lot easier for us to be able to attract people in those areas and, and rent properties out but also sell. Yeah, we found that when the supermarket got built in the new area of Kelvin Grove. Yes. Uh, and that's a good example. They've put a few sort of specialty shops and things for the community as well. Uh, house prices went up and so did rents. But it also made, in the case of what Billy's talking about with uh, the Countdown and Pioneer, it will make a number of areas there more attractive. When an area is more attractive, it can encourage people to buy and improve homes, mm-hmm. existing homes and things like that. So it's good for keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah, yeah, ke- yeah, it's good for uh, keeping the neighbourhood in, in good stead. Um, you mentioned, you know, we're, we're, Palmerston North is going to be extending towards Ashurst and will do for the foreseeable future. Yes. Are we going to be seeing any developments or, or would you be keen to see the, the City Council or Manawatu District Council, I suppose, as we expand, going into to other areas out towards Longburn, up to Bunnythorpe, although the big Kiwi Rail Freight Hub is going to be going in yeah, there. Yeah, I, so. think the, I think in the 10-year plan there's three main areas that are uh, – easiest or on the cards to expand. Towards Ashurst is definitely the easiest. That's where we'll see the biggest. So uh, property values in Kelvin Grove and Roslyn will increase and those areas will become more desirable because instead of feeling like they're towards the edge of town, they'll be sort of in town. Uh, Longburn, yeah, there's some good stuff happening there, not to the same scale. Um, And up on um, Summerhill, yeah, large expansion out there. And that's an area that we've really seen over these last couple of years uh, expand. The the issue we've got is that this region is uh, primary sector driven. We've got some very fertile farmland Mm. and obviously that limits the potential for development because you're just not allowed to build 
in some yeah. places, are you? Is, is there any areas like that that you know people should be mindful of when they're thinking about how this city is going to grow? Well, I, th- I feel that um, the, the, one of the things historically that the council has to take into account is, is flooding. Mm-hmm. And even, even though they've done incredible work to, to massively reduce um, floods, there are areas where it is just a bit more risky. Um, areas close to Longburn, not Longburn, but close to Longburn, areas like uh, further out from Milson and Cloverley mm-hmm. are probably limited by that. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see the expansion in the other areas. Yeah. Uh, if listeners have just joined us, we are celebrating 100 episodes of Property Matters uh, with a very squeaky Greg Watson and Vili Tosi, who was uh, co-host in the first few episodes and has joined us for this uh, special edition. Um, let's have a look at some of the interesting stories over the past, well, pretty much two years uh, of Property Matters. Uh, properties being sold for as little as one euro in Europe. So, Fraser, uh, I'm glad you mentioned this because I was concerned about your ability to save a deposit. So, yes, so, what, just what, move to Europe. Yeah. <laughs> so one theme that's come up several times over the last couple of years are towns in Europe and many in Italy. In fact, I had a look on the internet this morning. There's as many as 15 towns in Italy. And these are these beautiful towns with cobbled streets, a real picture postcard stuff. And uh, I, I cho- chose one here to talk about today, which is the interesting named Zangoli uh, village. And it's got medieval bridges, it's got old fortifications, really charming. And for one euro, you can buy. Now, you might be wondering if there's a catch. Mm. Yeah. Well, there will be. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but it's not a major. It's, you need to, you see, in, in places, uh, in Italy, for example, they have a mandate, all of the local councils, to. Are, are to preserve right. the cities. And so what's happened is people have moved from the towns to, to cities and, and they're trying to protect these old buildings. So you have to keep them looking the same outside mm-hmm. and you have to promise within a time period, normally two or three years, to spend probably about €30,000 and employ local contractors to do the work. And this ah. helps them um, you know, get things going again. In some cases, you may have to promise that you'll open a business. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so just ways of trying to renew, rejuvenate some of these villages. Perfect. But uh, if you wanted to live in a picture postcard villa, that's an option. Yeah, I'd be, uh, for one euro. <laughs> <laughs> is, is, is part of the driver for that the whole Brexit thing? Because I imagine a lot of expat Brits would be moving back to the UK because all of the passport issues and everything else were, were raising their head. It used to be if you were from Britain, you could live anywhere in Europe and yeah. it didn't matter. Lots of people were moving to Spain and Greece, and now they've got to leave again. Yeah, I haven't seen t- too many things sp- specifically with the Brexit, because it is open for people around around mm-hmm. the world mm-hmm. um, um, to purchase. It's more just about a rejuvenating, in a localised way, uh, economies and so forth. But, of course, the headlines um, that you could buy for one euro, I mean, that's, that's less than coffee. catching isn't it, <laughs> yeah. when you see buy or purchase a property for one euro? So if I was... Uh, 20 or 30 years younger, um, I could retire early. <laughs> <laughs> Moving from from uh, sort of one extreme to the other, uh, I guess this is uh, to try and uh, tackle the house prices in Auckland, uh, the tiny apartments in Auckland. Yeah, and, and some listeners may remember there's this is commonly referred to as the co, which is a, a fancy name for a co-home. And what they did was they built this 22-bedroom, three-storey complex uh, at the top of uh, Simon Street, and it's really targeting young people. It's like a super flash uh, student accommodation. It's not, right. not student accommodation. It's for professionals. But you have all these areas, designer spaces, 
fully furnished. It's got multi- communal rooms like a kitchen, movie theatre and laundry. And uh, uh, Fraser, I was wondering if you had if you had twenty two bedrooms, how would you decide what movie to watch on, the, <laughs> on, on movie night? <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I think it's I think bad enough when you're <laughs> flatting with five, let alone twenty two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the idea with this is, uh, really, is you just have a, a room with a bed in it, basically, and you have no uh, nothing, nothing else. And I can't remember the costs of these, but. It strikes me as funny in New Zealand where we seem to have so much land that, that people need to resort to this. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I think also what's taken off in the last year, uh, we spoke about it in an early episode, is, is, is the tiny homes aspect. Correct. Uh, a lot of people have sort of gone their tiny homes, you know, uh, sacrificing space, mm. uh, land space, um, to actually have something that is theirs, um, you know, to get and, their and foot in the door. And usually in a good location yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, we've seen quite a few uh, companies start Startup companies here in Manawatu um, starting to see tiny homes being relocated to to sections and things like that. Um, so, so I guess it's sort of like this dynamic here, where you know you've got your communal, you've got your shared facilities. People mm. are sort of thinking, mm, maybe if we just spend a little bit here, we can get um, yeah something that's ours. Bit smaller, uh, but at least we can call it home. So I guess it's uh, that, that it is the, the temporary sacrifice for your future—a tiny home or, or this. But I mean, I did three years of university, sharing communal laundries, yes. communal well, communal showers and bathrooms as well. And no, yeah. so you're shaking no. your head very. No, I, I, I can't imagine for one second I, I mean, could do that. You anymore. could possibly imagine in Auckland that you might uh, own a house within a couple of hours of Auckland and use one of these things as a base if you're working mm-hmm. in the city or something. But, but uh, There's probably a lot of people, because um, obviously it's targeting, like you mentioned mm. before, Greg, like the professional yeah. type um, where people are relocating maybe into a city for work, maybe on a one-year, two-year uh, working contract. Um, you know, they don't want to rent um, you know, an apartment that is probably a little bit, you know, too high for them. Yeah, um, so and, this brings the cost got, right down. Yeah, it's got everything that they need. Um, so it's probably targeting that that type of person. Mm. Yeah, I'll, probably, I'll probably do a follow-up story on this in the next couple of weeks and just see uh, where that's at now. Yeah, yeah. We've got two or three minutes left. Let's have a look at uh, one or two more stories if we can. Uh, doomsday bunkers. <laughs> yeah, these are always fun stories. And yeah. I don't know why I've got a thing for doomsday bunkers. But, but, but hashtag 2020, I think, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, for those of you who are worried about COVID or nuclear strike, I mean, this, this particular one that, that I, <laughs> I, uh, I focused was in Las Vegas. So you have an ordinary house right just an ordinary house run of the mill and uh, 10 meters underground you have this luxury bunker 1400 square meters now a normal house is like 140 square meters and this one's got five bedrooms six bathrooms it's even got a swimming pool underground (laughs) hang on five bedrooms six bathrooms yeah wow yes i don't don't ask me (laughs) i only only read the news i don't know the uh, the ins and outs and this is around 10 million us dollars but what's interesting is they've even got an outdoor supposed area underground Mm. that has all these murals of painted um, landscapes and things so so while you're waiting for the radiation to stop you can enjoy the the scenery so yeah good lord i mean is this becoming a trend you know people you know again hashtag 2020 i I think a lot of these are left over from from the old days so this particular one was from around about 1970s so because i mean like um tornado bunkers and things are still a big thing in america uh, crucial in many mm. cases yeah are are we is there a, a trend for people to start even having 
in basements in New Zealand now that perhaps they didn't before? Well, it's something uh, – I don't know, Billy. I'm a bit of a nerd, so I like all these ideas of digging things out, mm. et cetera, but it's not something I've aspired to. I mean, it's something um, probably here in New Zealand, probably not necessary. Um, certainly in, in London, um, you know, they have huge emphasis around basements and yep. things like that. Mm. Um, well, if you can't expand anywhere else, you go down. Yeah, that's well, that's it. There's no space. Um, so if effectively, you either build underneath or you build on top. Um, I guess we have the luxury here in New Zealand not to, not to have to worry about that. Yeah, um, I was going to say that because I mean a, a basement I, from being in the UK where they're cellars. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> quite popular. Yeah. Has it never been popular in New Zealand to have cellars and basements? Uh, and because, as you say, there's just plenty of. It, room. it might be due to our building style as well. Mm. Yeah, we don't really have the same the older sort of row houses. Mm-hmm. Um, I think condos is, yeah. is uh, <laughs> bungalows. Yeah. We are out of time for yes. Property Matters. Oh. Greg, do you want to remind people all of your, your normal details yeah, and your normal so, sign-off? And, and thank you so much, Billy and Fraser, for being here today. I hope you've enjoyed the show. You've been here on, on Property Matters. You can find us on npr.nz, of course, or we're all uh, blog blogs. Blogcasts, blog, blogcasts, podcasts, podcasts. Podcast. I found. Sorry, I lost my mind there for a moment. Thanks for listening, uh, and we look forward to seeing you again next week for a hundred and first. There we go, uh, Billy Tosi, Greg Watson. Uh, happy one hundred episodes for Property Matters. Here's to the next hundred. Awesome. NPR wants to hear from you, the listener. How can we improve your experience? What are we doing well? What can we do better? Head to npr.nz and click on the listener survey button to be taken to a short series of questions that will help us do better. You'll also go in the draw to win a $50 Cafe Royale voucher. That's npr.nz or find the link on our Facebook page. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.